Hello and welcome to Tales from Mysteria Lane, the podcast where we give you a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. You know why you're here. You know what you did. I'm Billy Ray. And I'm the little flame that could, Joel. <laughs> and today we're doing Season 5, Episode 8, City on Fire, the disaster episode of Season 5. Part 2. <laughs> yeah, take 2. Now, if you follow us on social media, you may have seen that we already recorded this episode and... The file corrupted because the laptop decided to be all stanky, stinky, crusty, and nasty. Yeah. And so we are re-recording. Yeah, and now we just sort of have to kind of redo that. It's so, so hopefully, guys, this episode comes across as natural and doesn't feel like it's rushed or forced or we glaze over some things. And we will try our hardest to make sure that it flows nicely. So as per... I will be leading the episode and Joel will be giving his trivia as it is my turn to do that and his turn to do that. So what do you have to start us off with? So this episode was directed by David Grossman and written by Mark Cherry and Bob Daly and it aired on November 16th, 2008. The title of this episode comes from the song City on Fire from Sweeney Todd. This is the third disaster episode of the show. So obviously we had Bang, we had Something's Coming and now we've got City on Fire. Julie Meyer, or Andrea Bowen, returns as a guest star for the first time since departing the principal cast, yep. which we loved we to see. love that. On October 14th, 2008, Gail Harold, who plays Jackson, was seriously injured in a motorcycle accident. His character plays a pivotal role in the fifth season's eighth episode, City on Fire. And Mark Cherry said Harold had been filming scenes all week for the episode and had been scheduled to be on set Tuesday, which was the day of the accident. Uh, Cherry then said that they would await the actor's prognosis before deciding how to proceed, but that at least some changes would have to be made. And so essentially an awful lot of the show was, not an awful lot of the show, but an awful lot of Jackson's scenes were rewritten to sort of write him out of the show during his recovery period. Mm, Okay, fair. This episode overtook season four episode Something's Coming as the most expensive episode to shoot. And it took 13 days to shoot instead of the usual nine days. And that was all due to fire safety regulations. Yes, which I remember we spoke about when we recorded this the first time because we were like, it doesn't look as good as the last disaster episode, but it is more expensive. It really doesn't look as good. But and we were like, where did all the money go? <laughs> well, the money went from destruction of the various things. I mean, the CGI tornado, which doesn't destroy anything, and then the fire, which does destroy it. And if the scene fucks up, you've got to do it all over again. Yeah. The song Lloyd uses for his proposal to Julie is Bobby Sherman's Julie Do You Love Me? Mm -hmm. And it's actually illegal to lock an emergency exit and Warren should have been arrested. Yeah, he should have known better than that. And so should the guy that locked the door. As a business owner, he definitely should have known better. Yeah. I did try to do some trivia on the origins of disaster episodes, but I failed at that. I'm very sorry. And I did some trivia on the actress that played Sandra Birch. I've forgotten to write the actress's name down for. Again. Again. (laughs) I didn't even think to actually go back and do it. So apologies for that. But she appeared in Friends as a character named Julie in the episode where Rachel gives birth. The Office, which was the very last episode as a character named Rachel. (laughs) Uh, Daddy Daycare, Stuart Little 2, Modern Family, Diary of a Wimpy Kid. And she was a guest judge on RuPaul's Drag Race Season 7. Her name is Rachel Harris. Rachel Harris, thank you. Yes, there we go. Rachel Harris is her name. And that's it. Okay. Previously, Lynette found out that Porter was having an affair with his best friend's mother and chilling and demands the relationship ends. Gabby told Virginia to leave her family alone. 
And Dave's therapist became interested in Fairview after an anonymous call from Karen and Roberta. Ooh. <laughs> this already feels like ages ago because I'm like three episodes ahead with my notes. So yeah. this already feels like this happened so long ago. <laughs> So in the opening, the men of Blue Odyssey are at the Battle of the Bands and they're feeling really inadequate because of the younger men in the other band, except for Mike and Dave who know that rock and roll is for everyone, so they're totally fine about it. And then suddenly Edie screams fire and everyone runs for the exits. And we then see that someone gets arrested for arson and it says the day before and we cut to the day before. So that was the opening. The disaster's going to be the fire. Despite the fact that we actually don't see anybody get arrested. No, we don't. That intro of someone getting arrested is all we see. Yeah. So we're going to talk about all of the housewives and everything they did leading up to them getting to the venue. And then at the end, we're going to talk about Blue Odyssey and the disaster. Let's start with Susan. And Susan's story starts off really well because Julie is home for a visit and she's brought home a guy for Susan to meet. Susan mistakenly thinks it's the young taxi driver, but she's horrified when she realises it's actually the middle-aged man that she's brought home. And she states that she makes a good first impression. Susan does not make a good first impression. Delusion. She always makes a terrible first impression. When we first met Susan in season one, she had fallen into a cake and the actress broke a rib. So straight away, that's not a good first impression. But look at little Julie, she's all grown up. Little Julie no more. She is no longer a little Julie. She's grown up, she's mature, and she's like turning up at home with a boyfriend for the first time. Her taste in men is also mature. Her taste, yes. It's not so much the age gap that's a problem in this relationship, because, it, it. I mean, we find out that she is going out with her teacher. Or was he her teacher? He was her teacher. I don't think he is her teacher anymore. Yeah, he was her teacher. That is, that seems to be the problem mostly, I think. No, it's not. It's the age, isn't it? Well, for Susan, it's the age. And the fact that he's been married so many times. He then wants Susan to take this seriously because he wants to marry Julie. Showing Susan the engagement ring. Yeah, no, this is awful. Bear in mind, guys, they've been together three months. Yeah, they've not been dating that long. The least Julie could have done, actually, in this scenario is give her mum a heads up. I'm bringing my boyfriend home. I just want to let you know there is an age difference. You know what season is like. You know, she was blindsided. If you didn't blindsight her, she might not be reacting the way that she's reacting in this episode. Yeah, she's a reactive person. Yeah. So when we're at the venue where the Battle of the Bands is going to happen, Susan is dishing with Jackson about the whole thing and she's really unhappy about it. We then see Julie's boyfriend Lloyd go up to the club owner, who is also Angeline's husband, by the way, Mm. and he gives him a CD to play. And when Susan asks about what that CD was, Mr. Club Owner, I think his name's... Is his name Wayne? Warren. Warren. He says that it's a song. It's probably a special song and that the guy's going to propose while they play the song. Yeah. So as soon as she hears that song play which is Julie, as Joel said in the trivia. She goes right up there to interrupt that dancing in the most awkward fashion. (laughs) Yeah, like, for once I'm on Susan's side, Julie deserves way better than this dinosaur. And also, I'm going to assume you didn't put it in your notes, because it's the second time you haven't mentioned it in the recordings that we did. At the end of the previous scene, Lloyd calls Susan mum, when he, like, shows her the ring. And he's like, don't say anything to Julie, will you? Thanks, mum. And then runs off. And I'm like, ew! No, yeah, twice in a row I have forgotten to mention it. And it's kind of horrible every time. It's horrifying! It's fun. This person's probably at least the same age as 
Susan. And two, <laughs> Julie hasn't even said yes yet, sir. So sit your brittle ass down. It's also another one of those stories where someone says, I did this and this happened. And then everyone clapped. Yeah, and you're right, like, yeah. did everyone clap? This story's fake. Nobody clapped, Rebecca. When someone says, and everyone clapped, you know it's a lie. Yeah. So Susan very subtly brings up that he was going to propose after Jackson tries to escort her off of the dance floor. It was not subtle. No. It was not subtle. That's the joke. She's <laughs> like, fine, but promise me that whatever he asks you, you'll say no. <laughs> and then it all comes up that he was going to propose and Julie brings up the bombshell in Susan's mind mm. that she doesn't ever want to get married. She's like, ew, no. Actually, <laughs> it kind of feels like Susan also saved Lloyd's. From embarrassment. Yep, she sh- she shaved him. She shaved Lloyd. From a very embarrassing situation. Yeah, because Julie doesn't want to get married. So Lloyd would have proposed. She would have said no in front of everyone. And then he would have been sad. Later on, Susan goes to ask Julie about the whole never getting married thing. And Julie expresses her cynicism towards marriage following all of Susan's failed marriages and relationships. But Susan basically sort of eases her mind by saying that she still believes in marriage and tells her not to put a wall around her heart and how she loves being vulnerable with Jackson, blah, blah, blah. They hug, they make up, and it seems like Julie maybe can at least start thinking about not having so many reservations towards marriage. Julie shouldn't be using the fact that her mom is a mess to steer clear from marriage. There's not much else to say because I guess it's quite... It's just a story. <laughs> it's just a, a Susan story in oh, an episode. Yeah, it's just a Susan story. In the grand scheme of Susan's arc, this is very superfluous. Yeah. But I guess it's nice to just have a story where we see Julie's outcome of growing up with Susan as a mum, I guess, or something. It was nice to have Julie back. It was nice to have Julie back. It was nice to see Julie. So let's move on to Gabby and how Gabby gets to the venue. But first of all, before we talk about Gabby going to the venue, let's say, following on from the last episode and Virginia's betrayal, (sighs) because she basically told everyone that Carlos is a sex predator. Yeah, that he sexually harassed her and basically got him fired, yeah. So Gabby comes home to find Virginia has come to apologise to her, and she's rightfully pissed off with the old crone for getting Carlos fired. She also says, what family doesn't have its squabbles? Lady, you are not family. You're not family. You've got to nip this in the bud. (laughs) What family doesn't have its squabbles? But basically, Carlos says, she's going to die someday, and she's going to leave everything to us. So Gabby, naturally, is like, you know what? Forgive and forget. Gabby does everything that i would do like bitch you're in her will okay shut up and deal with it you know when she pops her clogs you get everything yeah she's instantly up for being friends again she does also say that she got carlos's job back because it was a misunderstanding that was just a horrible misunderstanding i miss how gabby really is a greedy bitch well i love her for that so the same day but later on Brie finds Virginia outside in a limo saying that they're going to see Carlos's band at the Battle of the Bands. And so after a little bit of resistance from Gabby, who was going to go with her friends, she actually ends up going to the venue with Virginia in this limo. Um, Also, it's Gabby that meets Virginia outside with the limo, not Brie. Why do I always do that with <laughs> these two? It's always Gabby and Brie you mix up. <laughs> 
<laughs> but Virginia has the best line of the episode. Which one? In this scene, when Gabby walks out in her ordinary everyday dress, and then Virginia goes, My, don't you look festive? Festive? <laughs> festive? Festive, bitch? Why festive? <laughs> I've got no idea. Maybe it was like the fact that it had some colour on it, and she was like, Oh, don't you look festive? No, bitch, I'm dressed in clothes. Yeah, don't you look jazzy? <laughs> So we are now at the venue with Gabby and Virginia. And this is when things start to get a little bit dramatic with them. So there's some awkward conversation. And I don't think Gabby really cares. She's just like going through the motions with it. No, Virginia has rich people problems. She's like, it's just so hard to find good help. Don't call them help. (laughs) In this storyline, the bombshell is that Virginia has secured places for Juanita and Celia in a private school. That's an hour away. Yeah, without even telling Gabby. And she's like, I must insist. Because Gabby's like, no, that's not happening. (laughs) She's like, well, given my investment in this family, I think I should have some say. Investment? This ain't no business, woman. But when Gabby says no, she's like, I must insist. And I just thought, insist? This is not your family. No. This woman is absolutely bonkers. I said, lonely people are dangerous. She is dangerous. You should stop saying that, because that could come across as really offensive to lonely people. I'm talking about in TV shows, guys. It's all over-dramatised. If you're sat at home right now with ice cream and you're lonely, then you're probably more dangerous to yourself than anyone else. Well, that ice cream is. (laughs) Hope you don't get diabetes. (laughs) And this is when Gabby's had too much. And she's just like, you know what, lady, you can keep your money. I'm putting my family first. Yeah, it was really nice. She was like, a long time ago, you'd have bought me with that money. But now I'm a mum. Mm. You know, this is nice. We see how Gabby's character has grown. Yeah, since the inclusion of children into her life. Yeah, she is putting family first before all this money. Yeah. So that was Gabby's story. <laughs> yeah, it was. That was a, it was a nice little story. Short and sweet. Virginia's a nutbag. Yeah. So Brie has an interview coming up with the New York Dispatch, which is the first non-local interview that she has for her book. So naturally, she's acting a bit gross to Catherine and Andrew so that they, I don't know, behave, I guess. Yeah, the worst story of the episode. Oh, Brie is so frustrating. She's horrible in this episode. Catherine is just like, yeah, Brie, I'll behave. I won't slag you off, I guess, or whatever she's scared that Catherine will do. She's probably scared after that whole whipping the sugar incident oh god yeah and obviously she doesn't have to say anything to andrew she just compliments him like some sort of sycophant and then he's like don't worry i'll be straight for tonight i guess yeah and he was just like don't worry i won't tell her i'm gay it's like after all of this time this yeah after all of this time we're sat here thinking that brie has accepted andrew's sexuality and she's learned to understand it more and and you know love andrew for who she is and whoever he loves but now all of a sudden it's become a negative again because the book that she's promoting promotes traditional values it's conservative yeah Yeah. traditional america is very anti-gay yeah it's all about straight marriage and family dynamics you know the nuclear family and all that yeah to a certain extent i do get why she's reacting the way she is about this book reviewer because the review that they read out for betty white was scathing poor betty white she did not see that coming yeah unfortunately sandra the interviewer from the new york dispatch is a total cow she called betty white demonic so good luck Bree. yeah so they ignore the phone as it rings because Bree says it's rude and she's trying to put on her best face only for the person leaving a voicemail out loud to say that it's Orson's parole officer. So now Sandra knows that Orson has been to prison and as a conservative 
cookbook writer Brie, whatever, this is completely shattering the whole facade. I mean, no offence to Sandra's journalistic abilities, but surely she should have known this before she went to meet Brie and her family anyway, because any journalist worth their salt knows to do research beforehand. Yeah, I have my reservations about Sandra's abilities. <laughs> yeah. We're now going to talk about a bit that Joel's going to hate, because later on she then gets super worried because she sees that Sandra's talking to Bob and Lee across the road before wandering off, and so she goes over to find out what the bitches were talking to Sandra about. You know, what juicy gossip did Sandra dig up but apparently she can talk to her about it at the Battle of the Bands tonight because that's where she's going to be because she wants to hear Orson in her words sing harmony with the guy he tried to kill <laughs> Lee is the worst offender Why? than Bob and Lee is vile absolutely vile the character obviously not the actor but like when he's just looking at Bruni he's like were you really an alcoholic we would have been such good friends trash absolute trash you don't say that to an alcoholic like a someone that's obviously sober now yeah a recovered alcoholic that's the one thank you but brie is in danger this woman is out for blood but honestly why do we have to have bob and lee only come up to serve a particular narrative that gays just want gossip and all we do is run around being bitchy little hags Later on, Brie is at the venue having a little chat with Sandra, saying that she isn't happy about how Sandra's digging into her life, all for what's basically just a cookbook. And this is when Sandra brings up that this isn't just a cookbook. This is a look how great I am book. So Brie decides to go to school on the lady and say that it's a cookbook for all those housewives who are barely holding on, thinking they're alone, but they can get something right, even if it's just a casserole. Which Sandra really does buy, and she's like, finally, a story I can run with. Why didn't you just say that, Brie? And here's the thing, because it's bullshit. Yeah, of course it's bullshit. Like, I'm sorry, Brie's just saying whatever she needs to to (laughs) shut Sandra the fuck up, because Sandra is just bullshit bitter because she can't cook so she's out here trying to take all the nigellas of the world down (laughs) that's literally what she's doing now we know that i love brie right yeah but i think it's fair to say that sandra wasn't completely off the mark i mean you're not completely wrong sandra is correct to a certain extent although to an extent in a few episodes time if i remember correctly we do get a bit more of an origin of the cookbook oh really yes a bit more understanding of when the cookbook idea came about and and bits and pieces like that but bear in mind guys this is this is all in jest yeah not a great episode for brie not really brie's kind of gone a little bit backwards in this episode hasn't she Mm -hmm. (laughs) so lynette starts off her day making tea and instantly it goes to shit because preston lets her know that porter got Anne Schilling pregnant not only that but they're also planning to run away together face crack she then gives him a nice little hug and assumably leaves to go and kill Anne yeah it was a really sweet like the little hug that she gave Preston and she was like remember when you did this and I said this well I'm take it back I loved her face when he said that she's pregnant and her face is just complete shock like what the fuck yeah (laughs) absolute face drop that face drop was hilarious brilliant Felicity Huffman's my favorite actor in this yeah if, if people hadn't already been able to tell She's so good. (laughs) So let's cut to when Lynette meets up with Anne Schilling. So this is really awkward because she talks to her about being pregnant and Anne Schilling's really trying to justify her actions, isn't she? Yeah, we get to hear the story behind the statutory rape. Yeah, because that's what it is. But she's just like, well, my husband's abusive and he was the first nice thing. Yeah, like the story is that her husband beat her and then Porter turned up to see Kirby... And 
he was nice to her and he was like making her feel good and that's where it came about and although I empathize with her story there's no excuse for what she's doing no there are so many other things you could be doing rather than sleeping with teenagers yeah so many better things (laughs) get yourself on Ashley Madison or whatever it's called What's Ashley Madison? Is Who's Ash- she? Was it Ashley Madison? Please welcome it to the stage. Ashley Madison. Ashley Madison, I swear, was that sort of like dating site for married people. Dating sure. site for married people? Oh, yeah. that's scandalous. Yeah. So the husband then appears from behind the corner, revealing that he heard the whole thing, which was quite the mic drop moment. And Anne whispers, don't go. And Lynette kind of has that moment where she's like, should I go? Yeah, I think I'm going to go. And she leaves anyway. Only to get outside and think, you know what, maybe that wasn't the best move. And she goes back inside. It was really sad to just hear Anne beg for Lynette not to go. But that's good for Lynette as a character. Because in her head, she's like, she's only going to get what she deserves. Only to go outside and instantly think, you know what, no, no one deserves that. This guy's a pig. Yeah, Lynette isn't that kind of person. I don't think I could have even done what Lynette did and leave. Mm. It's difficult for me to say, because obviously I've not been in this sort of situation before. So who knows if... But Anne had so been, angry. If Anne had been screwing my son, then maybe I would leave. Oh, she's so angry. Yeah, and she goes back inside to find him beating her up, and it's really horrible. Yeah. So Lynette goes all violent on him and throws a candlestick, yep. and then she grabs another candlestick, and she's like, I hit back. And the guy obviously doesn't want to take her on, so he uh, does a walkout. Yeah, and he's like, oh, I'd like to see you talk yourself out of statutory rape, blah, 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 or R word, sorry. So later on, Anne is in the hospital with Lynette outside and Preston shows up to see what's wrong. And Lynette tries to explain the situation, but Preston just thinks that it's all her fault and he does a runoff. Yeah, he does. Oh, he's mad. I mean, Anne's going to be fine, but Lynette doesn't ask Anne about the baby. She Mm. walks into Anne's room and she's like, how you doing? Cool. All right, bye. Well, she hates the woman. But it was nice that she saved her anyway. Yeah. It was the right thing to do. It was. It was. I think Lynette would have really regretted it. Yeah, so later on, Lynette's at the venue. I mean, Tommy's playing tonight, so it's nice to go see him. But she's mainly just looking for Porter, isn't she? She asks Gabby where he is, assumably some other people as well. And eventually he does show up and he attacks Wayne, the um, the club owner. And he basically just floors Porter. Yeah, he really does. Porter tries. Luckily, Lynette gets between them and then makes Porter leave through the fire exit door. Right, she's like, turn to Porter and she's like, get that fire exit door, we're done. Yes, which Wayne then demands that one of the employees locks the door to stop them getting back in. So they lock the fire exit door. They lock the fire exit door because they're done. And that's basically how Lynette and Porter got to the venue and then left the venue. Yeah. So we know that they're not going to be in the fire. Mm. So we meet Angeling's husband as he comes by the Blue Odyssey band practice place. And then Dave gets a call from his therapist asking if he's in Fairview. A question which he dodges like an uncommon boulder, I might add. Yeah. So the guy makes his way to Wisteria Lane. He also drives past Karen and Roberta in this moment who are talking about leaving. Yeah, they're talking about going to the doctor's office to speak to the doctor without realising that he's just driven past them and parked up right behind them. Yeah. He also um, sees Edie, who's doing a little run-along, and she gives him a flyer. Which is, I hate this, it's just too forced. A bit too convenient, right? Yeah, it's too forced to my liking. Like, they knew they needed to get him to the venue, but they didn't know how, so they were just like, oh, just have Edie pull up and invite him. Like, it's just so random for Edie to just go up to a stranger and be like, hey, want to go to a concert tonight? So later on, the band walk into the venue and meet the other band, and we have a clip. 
Hey. Hey. You guys cold splash? Yes, sir. Sir. We're Blue Odyssey. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, so after the gig, we're having a party at our manager's loft. You guys should come. Absolutely. We just gotta check with our wives. You know, I don't think I've ever heard that word in my life. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, Tom, this is gross. So gross. Tom is a little bit cringy when it comes to young people, but he is in his full midlife crisis era. I mean, he's been in it for like, how long? A season and a half? So I guess it doesn't surprise me that he would use such a strange out-of-date colloquialism. Yeah. So, Mr. Therapist arrives at the venue later on, and he confronts Dave about changing his name and living in Fairview, but Dave says that he just wanted a fresh start, and the doctor says it isn't healthy or safe for Dave to be here, and that they need to talk more about this the moment that he finishes playing. Fairview specifically isn't good for Dave, and I want to know why Fairview specifically. Oh, well, we will find out. I mean, I know we'll oh, find yeah. out, obviously. Um, um, but, well, we know, but... Like, what what <laughs> happened in Fairview to make Fairview specifically not good for him? The Doctor then sees the lineup of the band and instantly wants to talk to Dave about this or he's going to call the police. Now, I can only assume that it's because of Mike being in the band, because of the whole Mike killed someone in prison and then he brings up that his brother was killed in prison. Yes, yeah, all signs at the moment are pointing to Mike, we just don't really know why. We have theories, but there's no guarantee. But the Doctor is gooped that he's besties with someone in the band. And he absolutely he loves Mike so much. He absolutely loves him. Dave really does love Mike. He's, like, obsessed with him. So Dave obviously doesn't want to leave Fairview or have the police called on him. So he takes the Doctor into the back room, locks the door, uh-huh. and strangles the guy. The look on the dead doctor's face is horrible. Dr. Hellier sounds like he's hitting on him at first when he's like, I genuinely care about you, Dave. I thought Dave sounded like he was flirting with the doctor. Didn't he put his hand on the doctor's shoulder and say something as well? And I was like, it always feels like Dave is flirting with all the men that he's around. Yeah, Dave gives off very gay energy. And it's not the first time we've seen Dave grab someone's shoulder and talk to them. Like, that seems to very much be Dave's way of That's trying the first to thing we saw him do. manipulate him. Is it the first thing we saw him yeah, do? Yeah, to the man whose house he bought. <gasps> yeah. Yeah, he's a little bit gay. And he then decides gay. to get rid of the body by setting it on fire, which is very convenient because he is in a little back room absolutely surrounded by alcohol. This is the first real evil we've seen from Dave as well, by the way. Like, we've seen manipulation. We've we've seen some weird, dodgy stuff from Dave. But this is the first real evil we've seen. He's literally just murdered an innocent man just so that he can succeed with his plan, whatever his plan may be. Yeah, and set it on fire. Yeah. To get rid of the evidence. So this is the first sort of real unhinged evil we've seen from Dave. So the men then all go on stage and they start singing... Mustang Sally. That's what it's called. I was like, ride Sally ride? No? No, Mustang Sally. And sorry, Mike, I know you're not a singer, but you need to find the note. But the wine mums, so basically all the main characters. <laughs> yeah. They're all fucking loving it. All of the women in this bar were ending up loving it. They were like, yes. And you've got like Edie there. She's like r- pretending to ride the rodeo horse. Oh, Rats. Edie likes it the most. <laughs> Edie's loving it. Edie's so turned on for Dave right now. But also, why are they singing? I thought th- I thought they had to write an original song. They had to do both. Oh. So they. I think what the plan is, is they sing two. One cover, one original. They didn't sing an original a cover in school of rock 
No, they didn't sing cover in School of Rock. And that's my that's all my knowledge of Battle of the Bands. <laughs> School of Rock. I'm sorry, but Mustang Sally, it doesn't really compete with what's it called? Teacher's pet? Kick some ass! <gasps> And if you want to be the teacher's pet. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Doesn't... And I think it's just called School of Rock, that song. Oh, really? Yeah. No, wasn't the band called School of Rock? Uh, oh, yes, it was. Either way, yeah, Mustang Sally doesn't really compete. Sorry. No. <laughs> so they're playing and eventually Edie shouts, fire! Eventually, I'd like to point out, people really don't care about it. So everyone's like, get that fire exit door, I'm out. But they can't because the fire exit door is fucking locked. Yeah. Now, I'm just going to go through in very quick, rapid succession everything that happens during this scene because it all happens very quickly. Yeah. So, Carlos, being blind, <laughs> falls off the stage, which was hilarious. Orson gets shoved and hits his head on the stairs. Virginia gets slammed into a wall <laughs> and seemingly falls unconscious, which was funny because the guy sort of ran into her and he's like, oh, get out of the way, and then just shoved her into the wall. Jackson screams for help as he's stuck in the employee's bathroom, but he escapes by breaking a window. Gabby then gets Virginia up and saves her, asking if they can still be put in the will. And Virginia straight up says no. Virginia's everything. Dave no. then grabs grabs a stool and breaks one of the windows so that people can start escaping. But even says that he's going to make sure that everyone gets out first. Mike then goes after Jackson in the bathroom, but Jackson's already escaped. And then the as he tries, Susan, by the way, and as he tries to leave, he passes out of smoke inhalation. Although I just want to ask though. Every club has more than one entrance or exit, right? Yes, like should have. Everyone's going for the fire exit, which makes sense. But have you thought about going to the entrance? <laughs> you know, the actual entrance? Yeah, because... The we... one that people use? <laughs> I feel like if everyone, once they realised that the fire exit door was locked, you would go for the other entrance slash exit, right? Yes, yes you would. So everyone's just kind of wasting their time dying of smoke inhalation because they can't figure out the mechanics of a locked door. They're acting like every door is locked. Yeah. Which I don't believe it would have been, but the acting in this disaster episode is subpar. Yep. Mm. It's not good acting, you don't get any urgency, there's no panic from any of the characters. No. It felt like it was a disaster episode that nobody really wanted to do and nobody could get behind. No, it was, it sucked. Yeah. So eventually, the fire department shows up and there's a big old crowd watching in horror. Well, horror. No, one, no one's really caring that much. Jackson yeah. makes it out to Susan's relief, as well as Edie and Dave. But Mike hasn't come out yet. So Dave goes all hero mode and runs in after him. And he eventually comes out carrying Mike in his arms. He then puts the guy down to be given medical care and says, hang in there. I'm not done with you yet. And I think that's how we know that it is Mike that it, he's after. Now we know it's definitely Mike. Like, that confirms it. That's right. During all this commotion, Porter reveals to us that he has a gun as well, for absolutely yeah. no reason. So we can assume that he came to kill Warren, the yeah. club owner, and Angeline's husband. Yeah. But he runs into Lynette and Tom, and then the arsehole husband who accuses Porter of burning but, down the club. Because, I don't know, it's his club and Porter's angry, so he's like, you did it. Well, yeah, I mean, when you narrow it down, it would be, oh, who's who's the people that have vendettas against you? And he's obviously going to be one of them. But if I was Lynette, I'd be like, he literally didn't. I just kicked him out. Yeah. He was with me. So as a disaster episode, let's just talk about how this is the weakest disaster episode because there was absolutely no sense of urgency, like you said. Mm. And therefore, we don't get any sense of urgency or tension in the danger. 
There were no stakes. I didn't felt like I didn't feel like someone anyone was going to die. But also one of the beautiful things about Bang, which is known as the best disaster episode, let's face it. But also something's coming as well, mm. is that there were different groups of people in different places doing their own thing, but they kind of added together for the overall story. Everyone was in different levels of danger. Mm. But everyone... You could react off of everyone's reactions and emotions because, for example, with Bang, you've got Lynette and Julie and people in the store, which is being held up at gunpoint. So they're in immediate danger. You've got Susan and some other people outside the store directly watching, so you feel their urgency. And then you've got some people like Brie and that who are watching from home on TV. So they're the furthest away from the whole thing, but they've got stakes in it because it's their friends. Yeah, and obviously Brie also felt a level of responsibility for causing it because she was the one that told... Yeah. What, what's her name? Hi, yeah, hi, how are you? Yeah. Um, her. <laughs> um, that her husband was having an affair. So even if she's the furthest away at the actual disaster moment, she's got a lot of... She's got um, a lot of responsibility on her shoulders for the incident. You know, if someone does die, Brie then feels a level of, of responsibility for that death. So I guess the disaster episodes feel good when the disaster is set up well. Mm. People are in different places responding differently and everyone's got different stakes and responsibilities in it. Yeah. The problem with this one... And this didn't have that. No, the problem with this one is that everyone was in that same spot. Except Lynette. And we don't actually see what she's doing when she's out of the club during the fire. We don't see her reaction when she originally starts to see smoke or she originally starts to see people panicking inside or hearing the noises and people trying to get out of the club. We don't see any of that. We don't see her reaction. So we don't get any sort of tension or urgency from Lynette. And then we also don't get any tension from anyone else within the club because one, like I said, the acting was subpar. There was no urgency from any of the characters. So it didn't really feel like there was actually any panic. Also, the tension doesn't build because the actual disaster doesn't last that long in the episode. No. It feels like it's 10 minutes at most. It pretty much is. Mm. And also, everyone's acting like an idiot. Just cut the entrance. Yeah. There were, no, <laughs> there were no stakes in this one. It was a very disappointing disaster episode. I think we've only got two more left. Yeah. But yeah, this was, this was our least favourite. I think it's easy to say. So, so far, this is our least favourite disaster episode. I think this is the worst disaster episode for Desperate Housewives overall. Okay. I think that the only way from here is up, disaster episode-wise, which is a good thing, but I could be wrong when it comes to rewatching, and actually I could find a lot more issues than I remember there being. So let's move on to our next segment, where Joel's going to give us the gayest and the straightest moment. So Joel, what do you have for the gayest moment? So my award for gayest moment... ...goes to Lynette for dropping the bomb... And creating a mess and then just walking out and leaving with Anne Schilling. Oh. (laughs) Where she's like, you're pregnant. You've been having sex with my son. And then the husband turns up and then she's like, bye, bitch. (laughs) I'll leave that with you to deal with. Yeah, I create the drama and then I leave. (laughs) She said, I am the drama. But I do not suffer the consequences of the drama. (laughs) Lynette the drama Scarvo. (laughs) So, yeah. She is the moment. (laughs) (laughs) That's my war for gayest moment. And who do you have for straightest moment? At my award for straightest moment goes to Virginia for calling Gabby's simple dress festive. Oh yeah. Don't you look festive? No bitch, it's just a dress. Calm down. How Straight you... people, I swear to God. And uh, now we move on to B's awards for best and worst parent. So B, who do you have for the best parent? 
my award for best parent of the episode. I gave this to Susan for restoring Julie's faith in love and marriage. <laughs> Fair. Okay. I'm sorry. I know that sounds really reductive, but I couldn't really think of much else. <laughs> there wasn't really much parenting in this episode going on, really. But in all fairness, it was a nice scene. And she did take the time to just talk to Julie about her feelings because I think she could see as a mum that maybe Julie doesn't deep down have these actual feelings. And it's just something that she needs to talk about. Yeah. Uh, cool. Okay. So who do you have for the worst parent? My award for... Worst parent of the episode. Rather obviously for anyone that was listening this episode, but I gave it to Brie for asking Andrew to... Well, not asking, but... She she wanted Andrew to go back into the closet for this interview with Sandra. She pretty much pushed him back into that closet and then stuck a broom through the handle so he couldn't get out. Yeah, pretty much. She wanted him in there. Yeah. So I didn't think that was very cool because we've spent time with Brie becoming better about that. Yeah. So I don't like when they just go back on it. I don't like that. No, no. And for the upcoming episodes after this, they do seem to build a bit more upon it. Yes, they do. So this just kind of feels like a bit of a way out of left field, random dip in Bree's character that's come out of nowhere. And it doesn't feel very Andrew to just be like, don't worry, I'll just go back into the closet. Yeah, because even he was like, don't worry, I won't tell her I'm gay. Like, it was just the norm. Like, it was expected. Like, oh, don't worry about it. Yeah. that what was the hell? It was a bit weird, that. Rex would never have allowed this if he was still alive. Probably not. I don't think so. No, Rex wouldn't have allowed it. Rex was the one that was always standing up for Andrew. So, that was Tales from Mysterio Lane, Season 5, Episode 8, City on Fire. If anyone has any questions, queries, comments, or theories, where can they find us, Joel? You can find us on Instagram at Boyfriends Review, and you can find us on Twitter at BFS Review. We also have email, which is boyfriendsreview at outlook.com, and all of our artwork is done by Louis who you can find at DocRedMonkDesign on Instagram, where he also has a link to his Etsy page and he does commissions. Yes. Next week, we'll be back in your... Well, hopefully. Mm. <laughs> we'll be back in your ear holes with Season 5, Episode 9, Me and My Tan. If this file corrupts yet again, we will not be re-recording this a third time and there will be no disaster episode recording for this series, guys. <laughs> no, we'll just quit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See you then, guys. See you guys. Thank you.